Prior to this evening's podcast, I do want to take a special moment to thank a few people. I had the pleasure of doing a celebration of life ceremony for my dad this past weekend. My dad died during COVID times, not of COVID, but um, if you saw my post on Birds on the Black, he died in COVID times during uh, during COVID times of cancer, and we did not hold a funeral until this past weekend, where we did a celebration of life ceremony instead. And while there, there were several people who I know on Twitter and who I know in real life who came up to me and wished me well on the podcast and talked to me about being a Twitter follower and all that. Um, So special shout out here to Todd Greenberg, Mark Rubin, and Keith Berman, who came up together and talked to me about my podcast a little bit, um, and to the Berger family, who are going to set me up with Jake Berger as a person to bring on to my podcast, and a special shout-out to Brian Gibson, uh, who I talked to on Twitter, but also coached with my dad, who was there, and also a special shout-out to all of my friends who came to that. Uh, Also, uh, Wade and Mel Forrester, um, thank you guys for talking to me, not only about my dad, but about the pod as well. And so I really appreciate all of you. And it was wonderful to meet slash see all of you. Uh, and thanks again. On to conversations with Sir. Center field. This is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Match Land and he hit the painting! He hit the painting for Fred Bird! You've got to be kidding me! Oh yeah! Hello! Knock me down! Hello! Goodbye! There you go! Knock me down! There you go! Bye bye! Hi, welcome back to episode 20 of Conversations with Saruti here for Birds on the Black. Uh, with me again is everybody's favorite, Kyle Reese. Uh, you can find him somewhere on Twitter. I've heard it's at C70. Um, I believe that's what's been told to us before. Uh, and Kyle, if, if, how are you tonight? Well, I'm good. You know, just keep in mind that if you're trying to find me, you can always find me at, at C70 because he and I are usually, uh, you know, we, we live together. We're we we share a bedroom. Uh, we share a couch. We share a dining table. So uh, if you wanna you wanna tweet at him, he'll just say, "Hey, here you go, sweetheart. Read this." Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Daniel. I hope you are one of the first to hear this. All right. Uh, <laughs> the Cardinals came out with some really surprising, to my mind, news today. Um, they. Fired Mike Schilt a week after, eight days after losing to the Dodgers in the one-game wildcard playoff, uh, and 
six or seven days after coming out and saying we're trying to retain everybody on staff. Um, just some numbers behind this. Schilt ends his career with the Cardinals with the 18th most regular season games by any manager out of the 64 people who have managed at least one game with the Cardinals. Um, out of those 18, he ends up with the seventh highest winning percentage in uh, in the regular season. And out of them, he also has the highest winning percentage since Johnny Keene back in 1961 to 1964. Uh, and they're firing him after a September in which there was a 17-game win streak that propelled them to 22 over 500. Um, very interesting timing, to say the least. Kyle, immediate reaction when you heard the news? I, I was I, – I, if anybody says that they weren't surprised, they're lying. They're lying to you. They're lying to themselves. I told my boss uh, once it happened, once I found out that it was going to happen, I uh, told my boss, if you would have told me this was going to happen yesterday, you would have asked me the percentage uh, chance it was going to happen. I wouldn't even have given you 5%. I would have said zero. Um, uh, and that's where I stand. I, I What I tweeted out in the moment, it was the most... Um, it, it took me by surprise, like nothing other than the passing of a player or uh, a, you know, uh, somebody associated with the organization. Uh, like nothing other than that has ever has ever like caught me off guard. So that's where I'm at, and I think I'm still in that spot too. Yeah, I um, somebody put up. Uh, I'm probably wrong. I think it was Crash, but somebody put up something on Twitter about like fill in the blank. You haven't been this surprised by a sports move in St. Louis since blank. Mm. And my answers were like two varying degrees of surprise. We're both blues examples. The Chris Pronger trade away and the Ryan O'Reilly trade in. Like I, I couldn't think of anything else that surprised me as much as this. And, and this might've taken me off guard more than the O'Reilly one did. Yeah, I haven't thought about it much. I, you know, nothing really comes to my mind. I, I guess I'm so trapped in the moment right now that I'm not thinking beyond that in either direction, you know, past or future, um, yeah. specifically with the, the shield thing. You know, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I remember being shocked when the Cardinals gave Carpenter the extension, but nothing, nothing like this, you know, that, uh, that was a different kind of shock. That was more trying to figure the situation out or, or whatever. Yeah. But like, I, yeah, nothing, nothing comes to mind. Maybe, when they when they let go of Walt Jockety. Um, but even then, like the writing was on the wall a little bit. Uh, so no, like I, I can't think of anything at all. Oh Chris, yeah. actually, you know what? The only thing that now that I stop, the Chris Correa, that was that would be oh, the yeah, only yeah, other yeah. the only other thing where it was like, wait, what is going on? But uh, that's the only thing that comes to my mind is I stalled and delayed. No, that makes sense. Then I hadn't even thought of that. That's a really good uh that's a really good example, I think. Um so you mentioned in there just trying to figure out what was going on. And I feel like the press conference with John Mozalek and Bill DeWitt over Zoom almost left us with more questions than answers in terms of what in the world is going on. So a professional just disagreement of philosophical differences. Um, I think you and I and, the, and everybody else in the Birds in the Black chat, we've kind of narrowed it down to we think there's maybe – two potential philosophical differences that there could be and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
the philosophical differences of tactical management or philosophical differences of players and coaches within the locker room and which direction they want to go there. Uh, They seem to be the two prevailing notions uh, as to what those could be. Um, I don't know how you or I would have any real connection to figure out which one they are, but um, I think I don't know which way is better and which way would be worse. And what I kind of want to get at next is like who we think they could replace with here. If it's, if it's philosophical difference in terms of personnel, does that mean that Schultz was wanting to bring in higher priced guys more and help Wayno and Yachty go out a winning note and, and really try to propel this team's peril forward, but also get them the division back? Or was Schultz saying, I want to stick with my guys since he's just a player's, such a player's manager? That doesn't seem, the second one there doesn't seem to jive with his press conferences this year. Um, I don't think, I, real fast, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, right? Uh, I think sometimes, especially in the public eye with every debate, we have to take one side. We have to pin it down to one thing, one reason. And I think both of those things that you just brought up with Schultz specifically say that he said, I think he could say like, look, I'm sticking with my guys. I want to use my guys, but the guys that aren't my guys, whoever that is, I want you to use these other guys to get these guys, uh, to get the guys that I want, to get us better in these positions. And I think that could be a philosophical difference. But I think the most important thing to remember is uh, the the facts. And the facts right now are the Cardinals fired Mike Schilt, uh, that they keep quoting these philosophical differences that they are unwilling to expound on, uh, other than to say that the Jeff Albert uh, teaching philosophy wasn't the whole reason uh, why this decision was made. And also to say, uh, when Jeff Passan asked the question, which I believe is the most important part of that entire 30 plus minute Zoom call uh, at about the 26 minute mark. Uh, and I wish we could just play it because I will never do a good enough job of summarizing it. But Passan basically asked, uh, what is the direction? If it's a philosophical issue, what is the direction that you view the St. Louis Cardinals going in? And Mo talked about the pipeline. It was like the second thing he brought up. Uh, he, th- he talked about the pipeline, uh, about a sustainable, like I, me putting the words in his mouth, a sustainable model. And like, those are the facts. That's the information we have. Uh, you know, the other information we have are quotes from Mike Schilt at various different times over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, and Jeff Jones, the the lovely and talented Jeff Jones, uh, mentions this in the Zoom call, uh, where Mike Schilt makes this this coy and vague, but still somehow pointed comment about uh, he's just doing the best job managing the players that he has, and he needs to continue to do as good of a job as he can uh, managing the players that he has. Which again, it, now we're just reading into things more and more. Uh, we're using context, but we're reading into it. And at that point, our own personal biases in the situation and the argument uh, end up taking uh, uh, taking over in these situations. But uh, then, if, if you have all that going on, and you see a manager that uh, wants the team to get better, wants to go outside of the organization, and maybe the philosophical differences of the players involved that are the core uh, and the future, uh, but 
if you have a manager who wants the team to get better and a front office that is very much, um, you know, we talk about Mo having yes men, but I do think Mo is a yes man to DeWitt. And they might be a hive mind. They might be two brains that firmly are on the same track. But I definitely think Mr. DeWitt steers the ship in these situations. Uh, and so if you have a manager who wants to get better and has his guys and he wants those two things uh, and he wants them now and the organization doesn't necessarily view that as the right direction or the direction that they want to go in, uh, specifically coming off of a time, you and I have talked about this, where uh, COVID has crippled monies, even with 2.1 million people coming into the stands, uh, $5 tickets go a long way to getting 2.1 million people into the stands, you know, keep that in mind. But it seems like there's just so much going on in this particular uh, situation, along with Mike Schilt in his final year of a contract that Mr. DeWitt and Mo Bull said, speaking of facts, they were not in the process of working on an extension or thinking about extending him. Uh, You see a situation in which if you don't feel like, if you feel like as a front office, you have the right players and you have the right pieces coming in and that you can add these certain pieces, but the front, your, your coaching staff, your, the head of your coaching staff doesn't feel that at all and thinks that they need so much more or so much less or these guys and not those guys. You can understand where in this particular climate, uh, those ideas would conflict and the timing of it all would create this situation, this circumstance. Um, the other real fast, and I'm sorry to rant, the other interesting thing that I thought that I'm anxious to get your thoughts on. Uh, the other thing that, that Mo said is, part of why they're doing this. And he almost made it. And, you know, if you're trying to like protect yourself, you say this kind of stuff. I don't think that this is most case, but he said something along the lines of like, part of the reason of the timing right now is for Mike is for Mr. Schilt so that he can get out in front of the market uh, to give him more time. So he's not in limbo. And to me, like that tells more about being on his last year of the contract when they weren't interested in maybe uh, pursuing uh, an extension. Uh, but First off, my, th- my question to you is, do you think that that was, that was genuine? Is there a precedence for that in the organization? And then the second part is, is it really as noble of a gesture uh, if it is genuine? That's a hard one for me to think about as well. I feel like they've done that in the past under Mosellock. Um One of his first moves he made, maybe his first move he made as a general manager was allowing Edmonds to go to San Diego for freeze because Edmonds saw the writing on the wall in St. Louis, or maybe was told of the writing of the wall on the wall in St. Louis that, that they were going to, you know, go in a different direction. Um, same thing with him. Uh, oh my gosh, trading away Jerko and um, Dexter Fowler this past off season. And so uh, same thing with, um, higher, uh, uh, extending Jose Martinez when he didn't have to for two million bucks to buy out an R beer and a free agent or not a free agent, an R beer and a pre R beer. Um, probably paying more than he was worth to help him out in a situation. And so I don't think it's unprecedented for the Cardinals front office, current Cardinals front office to, to make a move like that to show that that was genuine of getting Schilt ahead of the game there of, if they know they're going to get rid of him anyway, doing it now so that he can find another position. Um, I definitely don't think that that is the sole reason for them doing it this early. Um, Whether that 
reason, another reason for them doing it this early being that they wanted to look at outside people and couldn't bring anybody in if the position wasn't open or them solidifying everything else before the end of the world series. So that once the lockout begins, they know exactly where they stand um, or they, I don't know if it's going to be a lockout or a what, but whatever we're going to call it, the, the standoff before the standoff begins, uh, knowing exactly where they're at. I'm sure there were different motivations there, but uh, I could see it being genuine as well uh, as being part of it saying, Hey, if he's not going to be around, let's give him the best chance he can to go manage elsewhere. Yeah. Um, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that answers both. Um, I, I do know one thing that you were talking about before I interrupted you with my diatribe uh, is you were talking about like maybe the players on the roster and maybe what's coming up through the pipeline uh, informing this decision specifically in regards to a hitting philosophy that has manifested itself in the minor leagues that appears to be on the cusp of manifesting itself on the major leagues, especially uh, with a manager who's more plug and play than he is working matchups and, and, you know, uh, maybe putting hitters in the best position to be successful. Uh, Do you feel, well, I guess to be blunt about it, one thing, one of the things that I've been dealing with on Twitter today is people saying the Cardinals have, have selected, they've chosen uh, Jeff Albert over Mike Schilt. Do you feel, even though Mo said that that was part of it, it wasn't the whole thing, that that is what has happened here. I think that if, if there was a choice to be made between the two, I feel like that was the case through the actions. I don't know that that was the case. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the room. I don't know if that's what the big disagreement in the last five to six days that they referenced was. Um, I do know that at some point this season, it seemed like there was a bit of a riff in the locker room around Edmund's comments, you know, uh, around the same time of the Edmund comments that late June, they were talking about how they didn't seem as prepared as they needed to be. And then all of a sudden the hitting picked it up from there. I don't know if that was the team jumping on Albert's bandwagon more. I don't know if that was the team completely abandoning that, which a lot of Twitter seemed to want to think was the case. Um, I don't know. I know that Mike Schilt in, has had them prepared in terms of looking at the discrepancy between 2016 through the first half of 2018 compared to when Schilt took over in 2018 through 2021, the base running and defense. I mean, the preparations you can see are there on those ends. I don't know if that's him, Marmol, Clap, others on the staff that are doing that, but I mean that seemed to be the way the team moved immediately upon Schilt coming in. And so preparations were made in other areas. So I can see where Twitter fans are getting that that, you know, maybe there was a preparation issue on the other side. Um but as far as the schism there, I'm not sure if it was Albert. Uh, my gut feeling is like they said, a lot played into it, and that was part of it. But I don't know that it was the main cause of, of Schilt being fired and Mo choosing Albert, per se. Um, it seems like when they doubled down on Albert midseason, when they talked about that, that 
I mean, you could see that a lot of that's because of what's coming up. Um, and maybe that's just because I follow you and Rob Rains and, and all these people who follow the miners much more closely than I. But even though our miners didn't light it on fire this year, that the main prospects, the hitting came around in a great way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely on board there. I, I think I think that you're right. I, I think it's I think it's easy to say that the Cardinals have chosen, you know, Jeff Albert over Mike Shield. I think that it's a uh, it's such an unnuanced conversation. You know, it's it's such an un you know, a, 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 a talking point that lacks finesse and nuance. And uh, well, I mean, I guess which is perfect for our day and age, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think it begins to tell the whole story, you know, uh, especially I say that that is the case. Say you want to break it down. You want to boil it down to something that specific. Uh, uh, and, and you want to say that really uh, when he says it's not the only reason, that's his way of just saying that's the majority of the reason. Say that that's what you want to the, the narrative you want to choose to believe. Uh, if I'm the front office and I just saw the returns that I've seen, uh, specifically as players get their first taste of the hitting lab, as the pitching lab becomes more prevalent, if the philosophical difference is buying into modern technologies, which it could be, it could not be, it probably isn't. Who knows? Again, speculation. Uh, and I saw the returns that I just recently got as you've bought into a completely new system because it's completely new. Uh, you know, 2020 being the wash of a season it was because of COVID for the minor leaguers. It's a completely new system. And you see results right away. Uh, I would want to see the fruits of those results. You would, you would owe it to yourself the money you've invested, the time you've invested, and into those prospects for buying in, uh, those players for buying in, uh, to see that manifest at the major league level, if indeed the, the A, hitting philosophy of Albert, and the potential influx of talent that the Cardinals would want to keep instead of trading away for other talent, uh, if that is indeed part of the issue. Uh, you know, Ben, I, I started talking right away. How surprised were you by it? It totally took me off guard. I did not expect to hop onto Twitter for four seconds and see that and and basically spend my entire plan period at school, like half on Twitter, half doing the work I needed to do. Um, I Yeah, it, it, it was definitely definitely just something that I had no, no idea. Um, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like I, five six days ago, they were saying we are we are bringing the entire staff back, um, and so you know I don't know maybe I'm somebody who's an idiot that takes people at their word, but uh, it just sounded like yep, whole staff's coming back. Here we go, we're running it back, um, so to speak. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's where I was at. All right, before we talk any uh, any dirty prospect list, whatever we're calling it this year. I do want to talk about, seems like the names out there to replace Schilt, and this is going to be 99.9% speculation on our part, I'm sure, um, which I know we try to stick with the facts. Facts are the Cardinals since Larissa left have gone internal. Um, the facts are that Moselak today said that they would probably go internal that they like their internal candidates. Uh, Gould did tweet out and Facebook out and everything that uh, a couple years ago, Mosaic told him that he has kind of a short list of managing prospects that he 
keeps and updates frequently um, just in case. Um, the three big names I'm hearing and seeing, re- not reported, rumored everywhere, are basically Stubby Clap, Oliver Marmol, and then Skip Schumacher of the formerly of the San Diego Padres. When Jace Tingler lost his job there, I think Schumacher got canned along with him, unless the new coach wants to bring him back. Um, his name's or he Jared. Becomes, or, or, or Jared Schumacher becomes the new coach, yes. Um, do you have a preference of any of those, personally? His name's Jared. Jared. Jared Schumacher, yes. Thank you very much. I will no longer be taking our manager seriously with a name like Skip. I, he's Skipper. He's Jared the Skipper now. He's not Skip the Skipper. I, I won't live in that world, Ben. I'm not prepared to go down that uh, that rabbit hole. You know, I've heard some other names mentioned, like, you know, some people getting all crazy, uh, you know, and maybe this isn't crazy, but maybe Matt Holiday is a hitting coach if a new manager comes in. I, I don't think anything's going to change. I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to hire somebody. You know, if say, say theoretically, they just made the choice uh, between Albert over Schilt. I don't think that they're going to bring in somebody that's going to say, you know what, I don't think uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Albert's our guy. I think I want... Uh, Matt Holiday. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna. Right. I don't think that's gonna fly. Or you know, I want uh, Jim Edmonds, which some crazy sect of this this fan base wants. Uh, ignore the glass cleaning. I'm trying to make another old fashioned. Uh, but <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you know, it just it really seems like those three names. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be some some old school names. Uh, I, I know that people were joking around about Tony La Russa. Uh, I know that I can't get enough of telling people. That I think it's going to be Mike Matheny. I think that's the most fun thing that you could possibly tell anyone right now. Uh, but uh, like on a serious note, the only other name that I, I've heard and, you know, the ties with the organization. Uh, and I don't even know if he'd want to manage, especially because he's out of managing right now because of his kids uh, and their baseball careers and their collegiate baseball uh, pursuits is, is Mark McGuire. Uh, and again, like, I, I mean, I'd be on board because I don't care. I think all managers are bad except for like the really good ones. So just a matter of what level bad they're going to be. Um, yeah. yeah, like it, it seems like a old chip Jared Schumacher, uh, Skippy, and uh, um, uh, Oliver Marmol and Stubby Clap. But, you know, I think Ali Marmol is more uh, bred for that role and more in line for that role than, than uh, Stubby is. I just think, you know, Cardinals fans love Stubby. I've seen a lot of people say that Stubby would be the one, the one of the two, but that's only because that's the name they know more than the other right. one that they've they've thought highly of Oliver Marmol since he was a middle infielder in the organization uh, mm-hmm. as a you know a 20 through 26 year old or whatever he was you know they basically made him a manager of a minor league club almost right right away Chris, Chris Schwager at the minor league level is one of those guys that they've done it too um, uh, a part of me on and I'm not going to get into that but I think that he and you know he's been shilled second in command the from every indication, as a clubhouse loves him, uh, he can he's he's inclined to be more advanced, analytics driven, matchups driven. Uh, I that seems to make all of the sense in the world, especially if the Cardinals had an inclination that he might end up having a real chance to be a manager somewhere else, uh, because it seemed like he was going to be on a couple managerial searches, um, getting some interviews here and there, or at least some feelers sent out. And if the Cardinals had, Cardinals had an inclination that that might be happening uh, with Schilt's contract coming up, they might say, well, you know what? Now's the time to pounce on this. Uh, so, yeah, those are the three names, and I'm with you. 
All right. Um, yeah, my my whole thing about managers, um, I, I generally tend to agree with you that most of them are are fine until they're bad. Um, and typically that's usually like you've got a good manager. That means they handle the clubhouse. Um, and then they try not to hurt their team with analytic decisions. Um, my biggest thing with a manager is you, you don't get rid of anybody unless you have a better replacement. Mm-hmm. Not a suitable replacement, not somebody who can fill their shoes, but somebody better. And I think the Cardinals did that with Schilt. I would have liked to see them do that with Gabe Kapler instead of Schilt, but that's neither here nor there. Um, if Marmol has the clubhouse's uh, back, you know, they, they've got his back, he's got theirs, he's, he's in good with the players, he knows them well, and if we think he's, you know, if he can bring the same fundamentals Schilt did, and our emphasis on fundamentals at least that Schilt did in terms of base running and defense, and if we can be slightly more analytically inclined, maybe he is better. Um who knows? Uh, that could be interesting. I don't think from his history that Stubby Clap would be that person to bring that analytical side to. And honestly, I don't know that Stubby Clap could bring the fundamentals or the locker room charisma slash players manager versus and all that any better than Schilt does. So I think that would be more of the same. I honestly have no idea what Schumacher brings to the table, except for the fact that he's a former Cardinal, which they seem to like. um, And he has been in managerial roles basically since he stopped playing. And so he's got some experience. Um, Other than that, I don't know too much about, about Jared. Um, Thank you. (laughs) My question to you is if we think maybe Marmol's the guy, because of what we've mentioned uh, because he is being looked at on the outside and the Cardinals want to keep him because we've seen that with uh, Moselak getting bumped up to a new position so they could keep Kirsch. Um, do we think Stubby Clapp, who has interviewed elsewhere, takes off? If he gets bypassed a second time, do we think Stubby Clapp's gone? I don't. You know, Stubby Clapp, uh, no, no. My, my thought there is um, – you know, the thing about Stubby Clapp is he isn't the pedigreed manager in any capacity that someone like um, Jose Okendo was. And, you know, Jose stuck around. Now, you know, you don't know what their allegiances are. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I I, don't think he's, I don't know. Especially, like, someone like Ali Marmol. You know, it, it wouldn't be like Ali Marmol would be jumping over first base coach you know bench it wouldn't be like the bench coach is jumping over the first base coach you know they both do more than that that's such an oversimplification of their roles within the organization right right uh but you know i i think that there it would make a lot of sense for the cardinals and it seems like the cardinals kind of move that if they were to give the job to ollie uh that that mr uh, mr richard clap would end up uh taking that bench role that bench coach role and you know you could sell it to to Mr. Richard Clapp uh, as um, as sorry I can't help myself uh, as like <laughs> this is a promotion and you can see that the bench coach is the one who has gotten the last two jobs 
as Cardinal manager. Cause it would be at that point, Schilt would have taken over for Matheny yeah. and then Marmol would have taken over for Schilt. So uh, there's a way to sell it to him. Uh, and even if he does like, look, I, I love Stubby Clap. If there's one thing I've learned from talking to players over the years, they love Stubby Clap. He is a, he is a charismatic person. I do not believe for one second that he would struggle uh, to be the clubhouse role there. He's a beloved figure within the organization. Um, not just because he was, you know, scrappy as a player, but because of the type of manager and coach he is. As a matter of fact, I think where we would end up having getting at loggerheads with Stubby, if the minor leagues are any indication, is that Stubby really sticks with his guys. I mean, really sticks with his guys. And, like, there's no such thing as having your guys at the minor league level, uh, specifically pitching. And that was one thing Stubby never did well. Uh, and it was only for a short period of time because I think he only managed Memphis for, like, a season or two. But it came, yeah. it became really obvious right now from with Stubby that, like, he was sticking with the pitcher. There was no pulling him out. And he could have learned. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's in Stubby's immediate future. I think that a bench coach role would end up helping him in the long run. If he was seeking to be a manager of a club, even if it wasn't the Cardinals in the near future. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to rephrase this next question then. So real fast, Stubby's right. sticking around. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, I, not to not to interrupt your thought. When you were talking, when the, I keep thinking about the words philosophical differences, and you brought up Gabe Kapler, and that got me thinking. And this is just to throw it out there. Speaking of speculation, speculating into the ether, but what if these philosophical differences, these coaching differences, uh, is that Mo would like to bring more coaches in to follow that Gabe Kapler San Francisco model uh, uh, of what if we just have more coaches to teach, to be there, to get the most out of the players? Like, I, I don't know. That's I wonder if that's part of it. But again, go on. You'll have to rephrase your question about if Stubby, if Richard Clapp. All right. So uh, that actually helps me rephrase the question now that I think about it. So whether Stubby Clapp leaves or not, there is going to be an opening on the staff, right? If, if Marmol gets promoted, his spot needs to get backfilled, minimum. If the organization is looking to bring more coaching to the majors, that's even more spots that need to be filled. I was going to ask you as our minor league guru at Birds on the Black, what minor league coaches do the Cardinals have that you think might be on that managerial short list of Mozeliaks? And again, obviously complete speculation on this problem since I'm prefacing it with a do you think, but I thought I would just double down on that to say, obviously speculating here which managers in the minors do you think and, and are we thinking like i know peterson uh, uh, is in tight with jeff albert's philosophy so real um, fast when what, yeah. a minute ago when i said you know what i said ah, i'm not going to go down that road tiger peterson's the reason why i wasn't going to go down that road uh i think that the two guys that come to my mind are chris schwager and tiger peterson uh nothing against ben johnson at memphis or any of the other coaches uh, down the system. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if like someone like Ryan Ludwig is a name they might throw out there here and there, maybe to join the coaching staff in some capacity. But I think more than likely with Peterson and Schwager, uh, I could see both of those guys backfilling at the major league level if coaches start to fall. You know, uh, I, like uh, again, like the lovely and talented Jeff Jones reported, Pop Warner and Mike Schilt have been close and for almost decades now. So you would assume that the Cardinals will be without a third base coach at the very least. And then at that point, if Ali Marmol or Stubby Clap ends up, if they do promote internally to manager, you're talking about two open positions. And 
why I think Tiger Peterson uh, is so valuable to what's going on at the minor leagues right now. Uh, not just at Springfield, but like everything that's going on, the planning, all facets of it. Uh, I could see a situation. Uh, and I know that Joe Bell Jimenez is the assistant hitting coach for the Cardinals is so highly thought of in the organization. Uh, but I could see a, a situation where Tiger Peterson fills that role. Maybe Joe Bell Jimenez becomes your third base coach. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe one of the other coaches becomes a first base coach or something like that. So that like Chris Schwarger would become like the first base coach at that point. Uh, like I, I could definitely see something like that happen in the long run, but yeah, there, there was a part of me when, when I was talking earlier that I thought, man, you know, it won't be long before Tiger Peterson is post poached from the organization. He, uh, he just, he's a great coach. Uh, let me, you know what? I'm going to say this about Tiger Peterson. Now I've been writing about minor league, baseball for five years now or however long I've been following minor league baseball for probably 20 years in some capacity. Um, I've been talking to players since I've been writing uh, more now so than ever. And I don't remember hearing so many people gush about what Tiger Peterson is capable of as a manager, as a coach, not as a manager, because as a coach, uh, I don't remember hearing them talk about any manager that way. And that's about getting through to players uh, about being open to players' ideas and to uh, m- and to the marriage of skills, uh, like preset skills, uh, natural-born skills, with baseball acumen brought out by technologies uh, in an effort to reach a player's full potential. And that sounds exactly what Mo's ideal of bringing in Albert was. Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's I, let go ahead. Tiger Peterson is the perfect. He's the perfect minor league coach. Uh, again, you never know how they're going to do with the majors. The majors, uh, the majors are a whole different thing. But he is the right. He's so valuable to what's going on at the minor league level right now. Uh, and that's I just want to throw that out there because I won't hit on it enough in the dirty forty, the dirty flirty. So. <laughs> All right. Um, let's let Tiger Peterson's role in the minors sort of transition us so the dirty 35 is typically what we go for here at birds on the black kyle has whittled it down from what i think was originally going to be the dirty 445 or so to what he's calling the dirty flirty um which is 40 instead of 30 so the dirty flirty uh it it does rhyme a bit better i i don't know that um the math teacher in me loves it but the uh the dad and teacher puns in me loves it all right um we're not actually going to touch on who are in the top 40 tonight so uh if you're listening for that i apologize you just get to hear kyle uh talk more about even deeper prospects than the top 40 uh which should excite you in any fashion um i want to start with what kyle has labeled the kids there are five players that kyle wanted to talk about um that you will get to write up or you'll get to read the write-ups for at some point here soon um i want to talk about these five kids who are all teenagers in the system um they are all position players um some of which kyle has probably talked about on conversations with Saruti before a couple that he hasn't um 
And Kyle, I'm going to let you take them in any order, but I'm going to just read the five names here. So there's four outfielders. You son of a bitch, you. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> Luis Pino. Yeah. Felix Tavares. Jeremy Ramos. And is it Keyshawn Rombley? Yeah, Keyshawn Rombley. Okay, Rombley. And then catcher Jake Burns. So those are the five that I was going to start with tonight. Uh, Kyle, where do you want to go with those? I don't want to go with them at all. Ben, here, let me, while we're, while we're, while we're working on the fly, how about this? How about we try to stay as generic about this right now as possible? Oh, okay. With thought, no, with the thought that we will turn these into podcast proper somewhere down the line. Okay. Uh, once, once I get a little bit more not prepared that's not the way because i mean you know me i i could end up going on for 35 minutes about each one of these guys probably but when i'm i'm not so disjointed in my thought process um okay. and plus that'll give that'll give birds on the black a little bit more content how about this how about we do it this way uh to get to give like people kind of an idea of what's going on in the dirty the dirty 35 which is now the dirty flirty uh, i also have uh at the very least four what i'm calling dirty annexes um, from t- to the dirty, the dirty flirty, uh, the D forty, and basically, uh, what I've decided to do is take these kids who Ben Ben has appropriately previewed. Um, this particular group, they're they're all teenagers. They're all from other other countries, uh, and I'm just going to highlight them now. With the kids in particular, as as Ben mentioned, it's Super Mario Pino, Luis Pino, Felix Tavares, Jeremy Ramos, uh, Keyshawn Rombley, Jake Burns. With this particular group. Uh, I just picked five guys that I like. Now, I'm not saying that these five guys are the best, uh, but they are the five guys that I want to tell a story about. Uh, you know, not just like Pino in particular and Felix Tavares are more than just a story. Those two guys we're bringing to you first when, I, when I, I've done the skeleton of the write-up again. That's a whole different thing. We'll get into that. We'll get into the weeds of that. Uh, but I've done the skeleton of the write-up for these guys. And that's me telling you that these are two gentlemen in particular uh, that you need to keep an eye on. Uh, Jeremy Ramos to a lesser degree. But more importantly, it gives me a chance to tell a little story about Jake Burns, to put a gif in there that I love of Jake Burns, uh, uh, to um, with Keyshawn Rombley to tell the the Aruban story. Like, I, it gives me a chance to familiarize you with some guys. Like, these aren't the five best kids that aren't on the dirty flirty uh, these are just five kids I want to tell you about. And then from there, I have three more annexes. Ben, do you have something to say? Are you good? I'm sorry. Yeah, let's hold. It all comes down to. No, uh, I didn't have anything else unless you're ready to talk about the other three dirty annexes. Mm. So uh, See, it's fun another, to say, isn't it? Uh, it is. All right. Another one you have titled on your beautifully handwritten uh, <laughs> here. Um, you have it entitled 25 and up. What's that one all about? What or what, what What will that one be all about once it's written up? That's all about the videos you can watch without getting into a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, no, no. The 25 and up. Um, so I kind of came. I, Wait, so I you're saying was... Kramer Robertson's not going to get me into trouble? <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on, uh, on, on what exactly happens. But yeah, I, as long as it's consensual <laughs> at this point, you can pretty well do whatever you want. Um, All right, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> uh, so with with the annexes, the dirty annexes, the dirty A's, uh, they oh. they kind of 
<laughs> they kind of operate on their own. So uh, what I did is uh, with the, with the dirty annexes, I just kind of like I wanted something to stand apart from the dirty flirty, the dirty forty, uh, the D forty. I wanted something that stood apart from that the, that highlighted these guys in a way other than just oh hey look they're on the list. And I wanted to have a chance to like talk about them in groups. That's why one of the groups is the kids like we just talked. The other group is the 25 and up. Like Ben and I were talking before this. My issue with kids that are 25 and up is I don't know what the hell to do with them, uh, especially kids who have a lot of experience. Now, it's a unique situation coming off of 2020 in which there was no minor league baseball. But like in the past, I don't know what to do with John Nagowski. I don't know what to do with Ron Hell Ravelo. Sure, uh, you, you know they're going to make a major league debut. You know that's coming. But what does that mean exactly? Like, I, I don't know how to quantify their prospect status. So what I wanted to do with the 25 and up is I wanted to highlight guys that I didn't really know exactly what to do on the list that deserve to be highlighted, deserve the attention, deserve the time, uh, but on their own merits. Uh, same thing goes with the kids. I wanted to be able to highlight these kids on their own merits. I didn't want it to be a list uh, that was, oh, the, oh, Luis Pino, he's 33. Uh, Kramer Robertson, he's 14, which he wasn't going to be, but like, just to kind of give you an idea, like I wanted them to be able to operate on their own as their own thing highlighted as their own thing. So yeah, with the 25 and up, they're all guys who are 25 and up, uh, that maybe are on fringe prospects standings, uh, uh, that I think are just worth a little bit of, 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 of extra praise. You know, like you mentioned, uh, Kramer Robertson is at the top of the list. One of my favorite players in the organization, Evan Mendoza is on the list, uh, uh an outfielder at double a who missed most of last year because he was hurt. Um, there's a chance that even though he's not on this list, there's a catcher at triple a that I put on this list. He was going to be on a different list, uh, that I do at the end where I just kind of go over like, 15 prospects that you also need to keep an eye on and do minimal right I'm looking at that others list and there's a lot more than 15 prospects. Okay, <laughs> whatever, keep going. Whatever the hell it is. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, that's, that's what the, the 25 and up is. They're just guys that I, to be completely candid, just they're the opposite of the teenagers. I don't know what to do with them because they're kind of aged out of your typical prospect standing uh, coming off of, potentially uneven seasons or careers uh, that I just think we need to know a little bit more about and learn more about. All right. So there's another DA, another dirty A, another dirty annex called the six <laughs> faves. I'm going to just uh, make Kyle blush here because I know this is an incorrect statement, but these are obviously your six favorite players in the entire organization, right? The the world. They're my six favorite people <laughs> oh, ever. World, sorry. What's really going to throw the poor people off that are just like coming across me for the first time? Because, you know, when you end up writing this stuff, people end up coming across me for the first time. Right. Because they think they think I'm legitimate, at, which is the funniest thing ever to me. Uh, but so there's there's a lot of overlap. Uh, there's some overlap in like my six favorites with this, specifically the 25s and up. Like I probably could have just combined these two lists, really. Uh, you know, shout out to Michael Yusenka, uh, Nick Trigolic Iverson and Tyler Reckenborn, who are younger than 25. Uh, but these are just guys <laughs> that, like, I, I don't think have a spot on the dirty, the, the, D, the D40, that maybe don't qualify as 25 and up, even though some of them are older than 25 or up, that I just really like for whatever reason. They're, they're, they're less prospects. Like, they're, they're, like, they're the group that are just, they're just not necessarily prospects right now. Uh, I think Nick Tregolic Iverson, who is on the list, might be the one that would uh, 
quantify as a prospect, but probably isn't one of the six men out. So that's, he goes on the list. Like think of the fades are, are they're like the leftovers of the guys <laughs> that I think deserve yeah, maybe the, the dirty the leftovers. leftovers of the guys that you just have to say something about because <laughs> there's pretty good chance that they'll make a debut or be good organization pieces. Yeah. Because my opinion matters so much. I've decided that I need to, uh, the dirty leftovers here. I need to let everybody know about them. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's all that they are. And, you know, it's not just about guys that maybe I've made an acquaintance with. It's about more than that. It's about seeing some raw skills and potential there that just hasn't necessarily manifested itself. Or like in the first player we'll talk about in that group, it's uh, left-handed pitcher Austin Warner, who is, I think he'll start the year at 20. You know, first off, Austin Warner is really interesting because I, I believe he's either, I believe he's rule five eligible, um, which being a little older, I wouldn't be surprised if a team takes a chance on him. He was so valuable for Memphis last year. Uh, that is a write-up that I, I'm anxious for people to read and hopefully absorb because Austin Warner does not get enough credit for has, how valuable he was to the organization uh, over the years, but specifically in 2021. like He could have fit into the 25er up, but specifically because he's a lefty, he's not really a starter, he's not a short-inning reliever. He's been used in every every role that the Cardinals have needed him in in Memphis. Like, uh, I wanted to highlight him. I didn't necessarily think he had a spot on the dirty. Uh, highlighting him specifically in the 25. And I just, I really like that kid, uh, even though he doesn't have, like, scouting tools that are off the charts. So that's that's what the faves are more than anything. All right. And you alluded to the fourth dirty annex in that talking about the dirty faves, the six faves. There was a group called, that you're calling six out. Yeah. Um, do we want to mention them, or is that getting too close to the dirty forty that you don't want to uh, to quite say their names yet? I will say that of the six out, there's one name that I definitely will not. Um, I, I'm not going to talk about, and I, I feel like this is such a a hack job because obviously one of the names on this list is going to be highly controversial for people who follow Cardinals prospects. Uh, but. I would say even a couple of them might be. Yeah, yes, but yeah. I'll say one of them, uh, Alec Willis, who I have on the six out, is a member of the the D40 up until my final write-up. And I I had Willis kind of high at various different points when I was combining the list and going over my notes and watching more video. But I think what I decided to do with Willis above anything else is I and I do I put this in his write up is this is more about giving fans time to temper their expectations. This is me doing that thing I do where uh, I try to be an adult, uh, and since I am so poor at being an adult, I do it wrong. And that's what's happening with Alec Willis, the Cardinals' seventh round pick from the twenty twenty one draft, a righty out of high school who has had one arm surgery, the Seth Manis surgery, um, which is you know the the half Tommy John or whatever you call it. Right, uh, the pers- the sort of Tommy John. I don't know the the sort of John, the Tom, the, the Tom, the Tom John with an without an H, and gotcha. uh, uh, and he's so talented, and he's honestly one of my favorite prospects in the organization. But I think what ends up happening here is I think if you put him at thirty, if you put him at twenty, or I think at one point I had him, actually I had him higher than Edwin Nunez at one point. Um, uh, I had Edwin Nunez lower than where he is right now, too. That's something that somebody told me that I need to be smarter about. Uh, somebody that I trust was like, hey, 
you're being you about Edwin Nunez. You need to not be you about Edwin Nunez. You need to be smarter about Edwin Nunez. But uh, he's somebody that I've had way high up on the list. But I, I'm just trying to do the uh, the responsible thing here and tell everybody that keep in mind that this is an 18-year-old kid who surged onto the scene at the end of the draft period, who has a lot of tools, who has a lot of talent, who has a body made for pitching, who just needs time. You know, he's not the raw athlete of, say, someone like, for no reason at all, I'm bringing this up, Trajan Fletcher. This is a baseball player uh, that that just needs time. And because of the arm injury, uh, that he's over, that there are no signs that he's dealing with at all uh, because of the arm injury. I just, I want fans to not focus on him as a prospect. So this is this is me trying to drive a narrative. This is me trying to steer your opinion uh, uh, until he gets into organized baseball and he gets a chance to get his feet underneath them, you know? Fair enough. Um, all right, so something I'm going to leave the fans with unless you want to tell them any more about your process first. Mm. Yeah, I guess I guess the best way of putting it uh, with the process is first off the writing process. I am uh, I would say that I'm way ahead of where I thought I would be at this point, especially considering that this is something that I've been working on for months now. Ben, I mean, you know this. I've, I I mm-hmm. almost had it ready to go three months ago. Almost had it ready to go, and then I deconstructed it and decided to start over because it didn't seem fair to put the list out. Uh, after 2020 didn't exist and so many things, so many variables were still changing. So many levels were readjusting. So many guys were hurt and coming back are getting hurt for the first time. It was after you and I did the last conversations with Saruti that I stepped back. I wanted it to settle down. And I thought, you know what? The only proper way to do this is to wait for the season to be over. That's the only proper way to do it. And even now, like you're only getting a small picture of a small corner of the whole picture. So uh, I, right now I'm making incredible progress from, from my own like mindset. Um, what I do, what I've come to find that I have to do with the Dirty 35 is I have to write the skeleton of each write-up, uh, uh, Dirty 35, D40, whatever, the Dirty Flirty. I have to write the skeleton of it, of each one, which is a really crappy, just like me ranting uh, about scouting and what I've seen. And then I have to do all of those because if I don't get them done all right away, then I will stop midway through. I'll say, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Why the hell are you doing this to yourself or these people who might think you know what you're talking about? Specifically that uh, uh, you need to abandon. You need to abandon ship because you and this are a freaking disaster. Uh, So if I don't do the skeleton first of all the write ups then I won't ever go back and put the stats in to back up my arguments of what I've seen, uh, put the media in the gifts, uh, the tweets from other people that I'll be including in uh, uh, the, st- the statistics, like the actual uh, photographs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like that stuff all still has to go in. So I've done uh, what you said. It was 22 annex write-ups and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 additional uh, uh, skeletons of write-ups. So okay. I'm a quarter, I'm a quarter of the way through the skeletons of it all. Uh, and I've just in the writing slash dictating process, because now I'm trying to do dictation uh, a little bit to see if that works out. I've probably put, I've already put at least 13 to 15 hours into it all uh, uh, where we're at, not including the constant note-taking, uh, the constant 
gifting, as everybody knows now, um, and, and the constant reorganizing and readjusting and talking to other people about uh, the kids. Uh, so, I mean, realistically, this is this is going to be the biggest thing I ever do uh, if I do complete it, which God only knows. Uh, but it'll <laughs> end up being the biggest thing I ever do, uh, and I don't think it'll be you'll be able to argue. You know, I don't mean this a shot on Brian Walton at all. What Brian Walton does is amazing. Everyone should subscribe to Cardinal Nation. Uh, uh, that's it's Cardinals Nation, right? Am I wrong? The, Car- I, the Cardinal Nation, I think. That okay? It's, they should subscribe to that because Brian is such an incredible. Mr. Walton is such an incredible and valuable resource. But uh, I, I'm not too proud uh, or too humble to say that what what this is going to be when it's finished is probably something that no other fan base will have. Uh, it doesn't mean it's accurate because I'm terrible at this and it's not going to be, poor, it's not going to be well-written. I, we all know that for a fact, uh, but it will be a resource that you will at least be able to go to uh, that. I, I personally don't believe that any other fan base will have. So sorry, apologies. And you know, ahead of time. So if you haven't gotten to see any of Kyle's work on the dirty 35, Kyle, um, with 2020 kind of being a wash, um, did not put it out this year in 2021. He did have his ready to go in 2020, and then the season got shut down. Um, if you're kind of new to Birds on the Black, new to Kyle Reese, this is a huge undertaking as he just laid out. And you can see his passion. You can hear his passion uh, on this podcast. You can hear his his depth of knowledge that he barely touched today. Uh, you can hear his self-depreciation about all of it. Um, he is very good at what he does, in my mind. Um, I put him right up there against other people. He just If you put this many hours into something, eventually you know, you're going to put out something that's really good. And guys, this year's list, to me, to my untrained minor league eye, mostly untrained minor league eye, uh, this list looks really neat to me, very interesting, and, and, and should be a lot there. Um, just to give you guys a small preview, just going to say there are 21 of the 40 are position players, 19 are pitchers. If you include the six that got left out, the six out that he called them, uh, that takes it up to 24 of 46 are position players, 22 of the 46 are pitchers. Um, I'm not going to break down like where those players are in this. Uh, actually, I guess I should say, since we all know Mason Wynn will be somewhere on the top 40 since he wasn't mentioned tonight, uh, technically it's 24 hitters and 23 <laughs> pitchers in the top 20, 46. Uh, and in the top 40, that would make it 21 and 20, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But um, Wynn did only appear once this year in the bullpen, if I remember correctly, which means Matt Carpenter threw as often <laughs> as Mason Wynn this year. So who knows? Um, yeah. Speaking of Matt Carpenter pitching, I just uh, wrote up something about this that I did not cover Matt Carpenter pitching, but I did uh, begin today to write out my 2021 projections final kind of check-in to see how I did. So I started with the hitters and I did note that, you know, I, I did not include pitchers that threw under 20 innings, including Matt Carpenter who threw one and a third. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I did get through all the hitters today. I did not get to the pitchers yet. So hopefully, um, speaking of getting content out there on the mothership, birdsontheblack.com, hopefully I can get that out at some point this weekend. Um, uh, my projections went okay this year uh, on the hitter side. Uh, not wonderful, but okay. Um, yeah, but here's here, Let me ask you this. How would they have looked – had the Cardinals not gone on the run for the last three weeks, the offensive run that they went on. Like just, oh. and I know it'd be tough to tell, but like just your feel for it. Would they have uh, gone better or worse? Trying to think. I mean, O'Neal finished way ahead of where I thought he would be. Uh, so his would have been closer probably because he had such an incredible month. Um Goldschmidt finished very close to what I thought, so I don't know if you, if you know he may have you know not been quite as close. Arnado finished well below where I thought he was going to, and so it would have been. I don't know if his would have been any further below though, because he didn't have that incredible. Um, he didn't have the incredible September that some others did. Um, yeah, you get Carson, a pass. You get you get a pass yeah. on Goldie too, because Goldie was so good since May, pretty much. So you get a pass on that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if it would have been any closer or any different. Um, I mean, if they were hitting like they did in June the whole time, then of course I would have been way off the other direction too. So, um, we can put those 26 games in June where they went nine and 17 and those 17 games where they went 17 and zero together and throw those out. And I'm probably pretty close as, as close as I was at least. Um, I don't know if that's pretty close or not. You guys will be able to judge soon enough for me. Um, okay, so moving forward, uh, do you know where you are starting to put out the lists uh, in terms of like, are you doing the annexes first and then counting down? I know you put something out on Twitter saying, what if I just randomly throw these out as I get them done? Yeah, Jeff um, had the right idea, man. I should just put them in a hat and pull it out and do it that way. Uh, hey, of course, probably... The problem with that is that they would all have to be 100% complete for that. Uh, unless I like right. drew the name out of the hat the day before and then published the next day. And wrote it up, which, yeah. But, you know, at that point I'd be able to do it because then it's just plugging plugging in the GIFs and, and cleaning up the writing and the stats. Yeah, if you got all, all the I, skeletons done. Exactly, exactly. So uh, what I will say is I have incentive to get it out as soon as possible. Uh, because there is an off season that is upon us. And normally I wait to put the dirty 35 out until after the new year when the off season has settled quite a bit. Uh, so where I'm at is I would like to get it out as soon as humanly possible so that I don't have to like, oh, hey, the Cardinals just traded Malcolm Nunez. I've got to right. find a new number 10 prospect on the list. You know, like All right. <laughs> well, the uh, the uncertainty of the offseason with the standoff coming uh, could buy yeah. you a little time. Uh, yeah. So this could this could work out in your favor. Uh, all right. Uh, so coming up on Future Birds on the Black Conversations with Saruti. Um, we are going to have Kyle Reese on several times this offseason to talk about these awesome, awesome uh, prospects. We are going to attempt to have current uh, Chicago White Sox third baseman slash DH, Jake Berger, on the podcast. Um, and then I am going to try to check in with some of the other regulars. Uh, this podcast tonight kind of came because of the uh, decision by the Cardinals to dismiss Mike Schultz or to part ways with Mike Schultz, as they said. Um, 
but I still plan on doing an end of the season podcast as well of just kind of how the year went. Um, so we've got all that to look forward to. I have to find time to uh, actually do these kind of like Kyle is finding time to actually write those out. So uh, we will get back to you as soon as we can, both of us, uh, both here and on birdsontheblock.com. Until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful day or week or however long it is till I see you again. Bye-bye.